you are an engineer, highly respected engineer. You are a well-versed engineer with a combination of being self-taught and a little bit of academic history uh, pertaining to when you had to get your original engineering license. So you're an engineer and you are called essentially throughout all of aerospace and various military agencies and divisions of not just North America, but from other world governments to consult and to come and help solve some of the more difficult problems when it comes to developing in, pra in, in, in a practical sense, excuse me, in the laboratory, an applied device or set of devices that work within a much grander set of, we could say, um, operational capabilities, whether technologically, um, in a conscious sense, whether with respects to propulsion or physics and or otherwise. So you are called for a big contract, you land a big consulting contract, where essentially you are brought to a world government, it doesn't have to be in the West, you are brought to a world government funded laboratory with a very highly respected university with highly respected academics, and you are asked to solve a very classified sensitive problem, which is that certain Navy ships of this government that you're consulting for, their military is having issues with respects to confining certain types of metals inside of other metals. This is what's known as, uh, you know, the study of metamaterials, metallurgies, things like this. And you are asked to work on a particular part of the contract, of which, of course, you're being paid for, in the MEMS area, M-E-M-S, which stands for Microelectromechanical Systems. And you are basically tasked, and you have X amount of time, uh, to put together a, a report or a proposal on what you think, based on your on-the-field expertise and based on your credentials and your history of being such a great engineer, because of how you can apply things both applicably and theoretically, how to resolve this issue to ensure that these metallurgies could be confined within larger, more, we could say, dense metallurgies in various geometrical ways. And you come up with a different set of proposals, but you write, say, a 10-page report on the different ways in which you propose we you could work with the engineers of that particular world government military to then make the adjustments so that these metallurgies could then for example fit within other metal uh, within the ship and within the confines of the parameters that have been um, designated to you so from page one to nine, you are listing all the different sh uh, shapes and arrangements geometrically you, you think could in fact work based on your previous experience and your, your general knowledge and your incredible intellect. But page 10, you propose a set of geometries where it is basically rings stacked upon rings. You then get, um, <clears throat> you then get a phone call the following Sunday evening on a weekend, and I'm being, being, being very clear here. Not during the weekday, but on the weekend, you get a phone call and you're, you're told it's from an unknown number. It's around, you know, late at night. You're told, listen, I'm not supposed to be telling you this. This phone call never happened, but you need to drop your proposal on page 10. And you start to understand that it's almost as if you're perhaps being brought on for consulting to find a solution to this issue, but not a potentially quantum solution. Quantum, again, meaning this idea of rings atop of rings, very similar to this little slinky example, uh, or spring, if you will, rather, that I, <clears throat> that I have right here. <clears throat> Excuse me, still coming off of a cold. You, and this is what you proposed on that page 10. You're told as long as you drop what you proposed on page 10, we can go forward, you can get paid, and you can have a successful contract, and you'll win the bid, and because your proposal is great, but page 10 takes it too far. Now, with that said, 
That's the end of that example. I hope you folks see where I'm going with this. And if not, I promise to bring all of this full circle. But welcome to another emergency broadcast episode. I've been waiting some weeks now actually to record this just because I've gotten sick. And I'd like to thank you all so much, especially the members who will be seeing this weeks before it goes public uh, from the bottom of of my heart for continuing to support and be patient during this time. Now, today's episode is called Our Deceased Ancestors Live in Oscillating Crystals. Now, The reason I put D and E in the word deceased in brackets is because the brackets represent potentially a different ring of time in which we'll be residing on compared to where our ancestors would be or even our future selves would be. I will explain in much more thorough detail, I promise you. But with that said, again, think about page 10 on that contract. They do not want you thinking of rings atop of rings. Because it's almost as if, you know, certain people caught on, if other scientists in that lab caught on in this example and read that page 10 of that proposal, everyone could do it and initiate what is called in the news a quantum effect and it would not be controllable. So with that said, let's start very simply um, by my putting my face in the corner here. Excuse me. Thank you so much for your folks uh, patients here so let's take a look effects of ultra weak fractal electromagnetic signals on the aqueous phase in living systems a test case analysis of molecular rejuvenation markers in fibroblasts now you don't have to understand any of that not to worry here's what i find very very interesting about all of this this idea of ultra weak fractal electromagnetic signals having to deal with molecular rejuvenation, particularly markers that signify molecular rejuvenation. Now, you don't have to listen to me. Let's do a right hand, a right click, excuse me, look up on rejuvenation. The action or process of giving new energy or vigor to something. Now, folks, I would very kindly like to ask you to refer back to either the first or second, I believe the first one, I think, Substack article in which I had written, which was that if it is stackable, it's hackable. So before we go into the big picture presentation, let me give one final example here of rings atop of rings. If it is stackable, it is hackable. So just as I say in the group Zoom calls, if someone has, for example, a very uh, negative um, cancerous cell, very, you know, doing damage to the body, There's many different ways of alleged healing and things like this, whether with technology or remote intent or things like this. But the point is, is that one could take, could go, quote unquote, back in time to when, for example, say the top of this um, week, this spring at the very top here, this ring just right here is the cancer cell, right? But all in the points and say this whole spring represents the quote-unquote past points in time when everything from the second ring and below represents when the cell was once healthy what if you could take any one of these rings and put it on top meaning bringing it to the present time so that the cell is then cured and rejuvenated you folks see where i'm going with this you see where i'm going with the example on why i said you know the page 10 of your report as an engineer, as a highly respected one, is removed and you're told, listen, you got to drop that page and then everything will be fine. Interesting, isn't it? So with that said, 
let me put my face in the corner here again and let's go full force so let's take a look at this let's first look at the history in general of what we're seeing here rhythmic robotic arm control using oscillators right by matthew m williamson now what's interesting about this is that this is from mit the massachusetts institute of technology right this is a paper that was published in on october 12th 1998 an approach to robot arm control based on exploiting the dynamical properties of a simple oscillator circuit coupled to the joints of an arm to achieve a wide variety of tasks without any explicit modeling of the arm or its environment interesting and the reason I bring this up is because we have to think, for example, of this concept of what we call time being that of a Mobius strip. It is infinite while making progress in the now, if that makes sense, which speaks to this idea of the slinky in general. And what's also interesting about all of this is that when we take a look here, this is a very big hint that I, at least it was to me a big hint that I'd love to share with all of you. We see here the arm achieves a wide variety of tasks without any explicit modeling of the arm or its environment which would imply and or denote that when one is interacting with an environment whether human or robotic the idea is that it is context-based the interpretation of the environment is context-based for example what i mean by this is when i pick up my water bottle here as you folks see in the corner of the screen where i am I'm not when I go to reach for my water bottle, I'm not grabbing uh, the you know, uh, reaching my hand out in an, expecting to grab a water bottle that is, say, you know, two feet in height and, you know, uh, half a foot in thick in width and thickness. No, it's, it's significantly smaller than that. So what I'm doing is I'm adjusting the grip of which my hand is going to then grab the bottle based on the context of the size of the bottle. Right <clears throat> now, what if? Taking all of what we've seen here with the Mobius strip and all of that, what if we applied that to springs, oscillating springs and slinkies, right? And the reason I say this is because this speaks to this idea from a consciousness perspective that perhaps when people talk about, oh, the mind and the brain are two different things and we right now are neurologically through our senses within a particular spectrum, electromagnetically, thermally, acoustically, all of that, frequentially, we are interpreting a set of representational, uh, we could say, nodes, modulations, and pulses that are then put into the body that then are absorbed immediately in a significantly short amount of time relative to when it, we perceive and absorb or think we perceive, uh, perceive and absorb such. Now, Here's the part where I don't mean to sound all doom and gloom, but what if, again, this oscillator representing different points in time within a particular space. So imagine this can here represents your bedroom and each ring represents a different occurrence within the space of that bedroom, all of which are still existing but you are only experiencing one of these rings. Again, it's the same idea as the cancer cell example. But what I mean here is that what if one of the rings we are experiencing is a ring in which we are not interpreting so much as we are coping. 
And I know that sounds very perhaps negative and fear-mongering with respect to, you know, Dave, if we're coping, does that mean that we're, you know, we can't handle the much larger aspects of things? Not necessarily. I would say we have been conditioned by our own prejudices in combination with nefarious other elements, human or otherwise, physical or otherwise, perhaps a bit of both, to think that anything outside of this spectrum of, say, this one ring in which we're on, pretend we're on the one where the ring, where the arrow's pointing at here, to think any ring past or before our experience, in other words, potentially outside of our spectrum to a large degree, because it would open up other energies electromagnetically and from a monochro monochromatic Gaussian beam angle. Anyways, what if we are programmed, or I guess you could say conditioned to think that it is best to stay confined within the ring of this of this spring without even realizing that there are other rings. But again, even if something were to be, quote-unquote, putting its uh, hand or foot on our throat, literally, spiritually, metaphorically, esoterically, uh, electromagnetically, um, what if the fact that we even realize there are other rings loosens the hold in which this whatever has on our throat? In other words, what I'm saying here is that ignorance, just like, unfortunately, just like deceitful people in life, ignorance are these people's strongest weapon or these energies or being strongest weapons, if you will. Now, here's what I want to point out as well. Let's take, and I promise to break all this down for you. Let's take, for example, this person here in which you folks can see. Just, just want to ensure that uh, there we go. Okay. So now imagine every time you speak, you emit sound waves as I'm doing right now, speaking into the microphone. And uh, again, if I were speaking to you in person of which I attempt to do my best to relative to being behind a camera, you would be absorbing these sound waves. These sound waves propagate across what we call time. And as the sun is shining, and the sun's rays are shining into the area in which we are, pretend we're outside in our backyard, it's a nice sunny day, or you're on a walk or something like this, the light will go and effectuate itself, and I guess we could call it, integrate itself or perhaps even disintegrate itself in a crystallized form on the ground within the ions within the ionosphere within the environment you name it this is something that's called quantum decoherence right because it is decoherently integrating itself into the local environment relative to the environment environment in which you are in this case emitting sound waves from and that's what the SW stands for, sound waves, right? Now, you might say, Dave, why, why are sound waves so important? Because imagine the same environment, except let's take a look at it below. You're speaking, but as the sun rays are emitting, this time around, as you speak, if you begin to view time in the spring oscillator slinky sense, as we've been discussing since the beginning of this recording, it is no longer linear nor straight like up here, it becomes curved. And an interesting thing occurs. This is what's called the ref refractive index within uh, quantum mechanics and, and we could call SED stochastic electrodynamics of which has merged a semi-classical model of Lagrangian and, New and uh, Newtonian physics with that of a more un uh, grander understanding of, uh, we could say, asymmetrical Hamiltonian functions. But the point is, is that we see here the light rays begin to hit the curvature of quote-unquote time as if just like a tennis ball hitting a wall. The light rays cannot go past certain layers, if you will. 
but the layers only become more realized when we attain a much more in-depth understanding of such. And you may say, Dave, well, okay, this is all great, but this is only applied to me. How can this be applied to the world? When every single person, or a, not even every, let's say even a thousand people, when a thousand people, I shouldn't have said every single person, forgive me, because that's, let's be honest, it's not realistic, but if a thousand people begin to view time in this particular regard, going back to why in the beginning of this episode, you know, the page 10 example on the report had to be scrapped, all of a sudden, you begin to control your environment more appropriately, and then the curvature of time, as we call it, begins to lock in with your sound waves that you speak from. So in other words, what I'm trying to convey in this example of which could be actually calculated to a very large extent is that whenever you speak, I'm not going to get into the whole even whenever you think or just look somewhere because even that's a thing, but um, whenever you speak, you are within the context of viewing time, how we are, it is being viewed in the second, uh, on the bottom half of this particular uh, sketch here. Every time you speak, each sound wave locks in with a ring of time implying that you can access it using your intent organically much more easily than trying to say what, what's this time going linear and these rays are coming in what we don't realize if we go back up to the top here is as a matter of fact we think that things are going linear when in reality outside of our spectrum of observability we are just being looped in one big time ring but we are in the context of being over here and not thinking that time is here right now every time or sorry every moment of occurrence that we start to understand this perception much more than that of a linear one these larger rings they begin to get smaller and smaller and smaller which implies, by the way, folks, that you are the starting point of this. And not only that, notice something, by the way. If I were to say straighten this out and draw this, you're also speaking to the idea of the tip of the pine cone and the tip of the pine cone, the fifth missing element within physics would perhaps be us. You're also creating here what would be strings on a harp if one were to say walk or travel across it, so to speak, just to be creative for a moment, you're also creating what the, our ancestors called the serpent rope, which today we call a traversable wormhole. Now, within all of this, this is interesting because it speaks to this idea that, again, what if our deceased ancestors are not deceased so much as they are ceased? They have ceased to exist within certain rings, but they exist on other rings. You see what I'm saying here, folks? So for example, I'm just gonna change the color very quickly, um, just to give you an idea, and then we will wrap this up, I promise you. Say your ancestors, some of them are existing here on this ring of time, another one is existing here, right? And the way to communicate with them in a much more uh, sort of telephone-like fashion would be using crystals, again. This idea of people talk about, you know, like, oh, the, there's a crystal warp drive or there's this crystalline structure. Well, clearly there must be some, quote unquote, dare I say, magical component to crystals. As a, and again, this is from Wikipedia. 
we see here a time crystal. In condensed matter physics, a time crystal is a quantum system of particles whose lowest energy state is one in which the particles are in repetitive motion. The system cannot lose energy to the environment and come to rest because it is already in its quantum ground state. Oh, so when they say quantum ground state, you mean like the slinky or the, the spring that I showed at the beginning? But you see, God forbid, they, they explain it like that, right? It has to be quantum this, quantum that. You guys, you folks see what I'm saying here? With that said, let's just take a look of in the within the last 12 months, even less than that, some of the things that have been put out publicly uh, within academia relative to the dissemination of the overall control structure at play. Fizz.org, time crystals impossible, but obey quantum physics. Huh. Oh, how convenient. Scientificamerican.com. Physicists link two time crystals in seemingly impossible experiment. A new demonstration of these, of these exotic constructs could help bridge classical and quantum physics. Oh, you mean like the same way we just explained this, how we explained it here in the sketch? I'm not trying to say it's as easy as the sketch here. I'm just saying with regards to the perception of how this could be viewed, right? Again, we have to stop thinking in linear terms. Now, take a look at this right over here nature.com the confirmation not confirmation as in approval confirmation as in uh, you're conforming or shaping yourself to something again the confirmation of the dna double helix in the crystal is dependent on its environment ah interesting almost as if almost as if i'm going to bring myself full screen before we wrap this up here kind of like Let's take this spring example again, now that you, we have a better understanding of each ring representing a different point in time within the same space, so which would speak to the chronovisor looking into the past, right? For example, where I'm sitting, if I had a device that could view the different layers of time relative to the space in which I'm geographically in, I could see all the events in which occurred however many millions or thousands of years ago, because time doesn't matter once you can tap it like this. With that said, imagine we're living in the now, right? And I'm going to use a practical example here for those that are more practical. We're living in the now, and imagine our now is, say, this top ring. So in other words, we are currently residing here. But what if our ancestors, their now is over here? right? Does it make them any more alive or dead than us? So with that said, folks, I'd like to thank you so very much for uh, bearing with me on this, for hearing me out, for listening. This has been some weeks in the making. I've tried a few times previously to try and bring this into a much more co cohesive um, presentation to simplify, and I think I finally got it. So if this is the recording that gets published, thank you so very much from the bottom of my heart for either listening or watching all the way through, and we'll catch all of you very, very soon. Cheers.